Jesus said to his disciples, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Then he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. How did spending time in prayer prepare Jesus for what was ahead? What was the cup he wanted to pass from him? How did Jesus suffer for our sins? Why did he do this for us? And what happened after his resurrection that changed men and women who were hiding and afraid into passionate proclaimers of the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ? Join us today as I interview Reverend Timothy Scheer, President of the Southern Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. Today is the Family Shield Easter special. This is Kay Meyer, President of Family Shield Ministries, and your host for today's program. Welcome, uh, Reverend Shar. Thanks so much for being my guest today. You're welcome, Kay. It's great to be with you for this Easter special. Well, that's great. Well, one of the things that I told you I wanted to talk about as we begin and have such a short time to deal with so many important topics is the uh, time that Jesus prayed with his disciples. And uh, I, I mentioned it in the opening. And he took Peter and the sons of Zebedee with them and asked them to keep watch And then he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. What was so important about this time of prayer for Jesus? Well, Jesus is both fully God and fully human. And here we see his human flesh wrestling with the will of the Father, that he would go to the cross, that he would suffer and die for the sins of the world. And like any other human being in his flesh, he doesn't want to die He would like a different way to be taken, if at all possible. And yet, he's willing to trust the Heavenly Father for what needs to be done. And this great conflict is seen in his agony while he is in the garden. The great uh, sweat-like drops of blood and uh, the encouragement to his disciples to stay awake and keep watch with him. Because he didn't want to be alone at this time, both with his father or with his followers, his disciples. He wanted their support and encouragement, too. And so um, interesting that he uh, asked them, that, that's an important point that you shared, that he didn't want to be alone, uh, but that prayer was the preparation for what was, a, what was ahead. That's a, yeah. an important point. Yeah, understand. And also, I, I think a, another part of this is that he said, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. Sometimes in today's world, people say, oh, you know, if you want it, just pray it and God will give it to you. But Jesus uh, was wanting to do his Father's will. Absolutely. And one never goes wrong praying God's will be done. But when we pray that, Martin Luther had a very good insight into this. When we pray for God's will to be done, we're praying for our will not to be done unless it is in accordance with God's will. Mm. So it's a very hard thing for uh, any person to pray. But Jesus sets, shows himself to be true God and true man in that he is fully uh, comfortable in trusting himself into the hands of his heavenly Father, that the Father's will be done, even though he knows how terrible and dreadful it would be for him as a person. Now, this time of prayer was right before he was arrested, right? Yes, exactly. It came after they had been in the upper room celebrating the, the, the Passover and the Lord's Supper. They sang a hymn, went to the uh, 
to the Mount of Olives, and there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying before Judas came with the betrayers. Mm-hmm. Well, there was so much. There's so much. We we have Lenten services this during this time of year, and uh, let's talk for a little bit about his suffering for us, not just his suffering, but his suffering for us. Tell us a little bit about what Jesus suffered. What makes Jesus unique compared to any other human being is that he was true man born without sin, but he is willing to become sin for you and for me and for all people. And this was God's will from eternity, that he would send his son into human flesh, that his son would keep God's law perfectly, and that he himself would pay the price that we could not afford to pay to rescue ourselves. He would suffer, die for us, that the wages of sin is death might be paid for completely, and that once it's paid in full as it was on the cross, you and I might have life now and forever. Suffering was all part of that. It was a payment for sin and all of its consequences. Right, right. Now, uh, just uh, let's talk just a little bit about some of the ways he suffered. I, I wrote down a few things. They spat in his face. They beat him with their fist. They said in Matthew, uh, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it, the one that hit you? I mean, they mocked him. Talk, Absolutely. Talk a little bit more about how Jesus, as the perfect man, could have allowed all of that when it wasn't him that had done anything wrong. The Gospels show great restraint on the part of Jesus. He could have probably talked his way out of this more than any other human being could, but it was of no avail. He suffered in silence, knowing that that would be the way for him to endure this, that he was not there to justify himself, but to justify us in taking our sins upon himself and paying that price for us. So he willingly allows himself to be tormented, the physical torment, the striking on the face, the the cat of nine tails across his back. Isaiah chapter 50 talks about he did not turn his back away from his oppressors, but he allowed them to dig the deep furrows with the whip. He set his face towards Jerusalem like a flint, knowing that it would be struck and, and would caused so much trouble for him personally. And even his beard would be plucked out. Very, very painful. Hard to imagine the pain that that caused. But Jesus, all the while, like a sheep before its shears, is silent. So was Jesus, because he was there for you and for me. Mm, That's great. Um, It's not great. When you think about what he suffered for us, it's, it's amazing. Uh, But he did. He suffered. And and I just want to speak to a minute Uh, for you to speak for a minute to the listener who just accidentally tuned in and isn't a believer and doesn't really understand who Jesus is or what he did for them. Okay, good question. We can begin with the idea of suffering, that the Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death, and the soul that sins, that is the one who will die. And all children born in the natural way since Adam and Eve are born with the sin that they committed as part of our, of our genetic makeup, literally, where we are sinners from birth. But God, who was rich in mercy, sought to restore his creation that fell in Adam and Eve. And so he would become a seed of a woman. He'd become a human being to be our substitute, to take um, our sin upon himself and to pay the price and all that it entailed in order for us to be brought back to the Father, reconciled with him, and once again, his forgiven children, 
and his people in Christ Jesus. Yeah. It's um, it's a, I, I hate to even use the word story, but it's a true story of Christ and what he has done. And in today's world, more and more people are abandoning the faith, are not coming to faith, I think because they don't know God's word, because there's so much there that uh, can help us. And yet most people in today's world are just baby babies in in the scriptures. Um, and, and so it's important that we do understand what it says about Christ. Absolutely. And I, I think it's it's kind of paradoxical. On the one hand, we have more tools available to us to understand Holy Scripture, even in the original languages, to have volumes and volumes of commentaries even available on our cell phones or our, our tablets. We have more resources available to the uh, average Christian than ever before in history. And yet you hit that, that there's a biblical illiteracy oh, that seems to be growing and we no longer can refer to various things that are in the scriptures, stories that we were taught very young as being understood by those in general population today, the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, uh, Joseph and his ladder. And these things are just kind of lost on, on many in our present generation. So the teaching of the faith, the going back to preach and proclaim and read God's word is as important now as it ever has been. You bet. Well, let's talk now. We're just going to move forward. Jesus is arrested and he's taken to the cross. He suffered on the cross. He talked to some people on the cross. He was uh, 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 emotionally and physically abused uh, during that time. Let's talk a little bit about when he was on the cross. Okay. As he went to the cross, he did so again under great duress and suffering. He had been beaten and whipped and drained of energy he had been up all night. He had been, appeared before Pilate and before Herod and back before Pilate once again. He had uh, labored to carry the at least the cross beam of the cross to the hill where they crucified them. And even there he needed help from Simon of Cyrene. And there Jesus is at the cross and he's being nailed to it by Roman soldiers. And uh, we, we talk about the words of Jesus on the cross, the seven last words of Jesus. When it's interesting we say seven words because I took that literally when I was a young young child growing up, but I'm always trying on Good Friday to count the number of words and always saying, he spoke more than seven words. <laughs> yeah. But what it means is simply he had seven different sayings that he spoke from the cross, and those sayings oftentimes were uh, parts of very familiar psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1, or Psalm 31 Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. When he said these things, those who were gathered around the cross, who were immersed in the Psalms and had them memorized, would know immediately what he was referring to in the wider context. And whether he said just that one verse or longer, uh, we don't know for certain, but the, the audience would have understood what he was saying. Oh, that's interesting. Well, he spoke to uh, the thieves on each side of him. Let's talk for a minute about the thief that... Uh, uh, was promised that he would be with him in paradise. Good. Yes, both thieves realized that they were being crucified for a reason. They were thieves. And initially, both of them were mocking and ridiculing Jesus. But the response of Jesus uh, by the Holy Spirit moved the one thief to begin to realize this is an innocent man. And so he sees in Jesus not just an innocent man who's suffering, 
but one who is also suffering for him. And so he he cries out to Jesus for for deliverance. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus assures him that, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. What a comforting mm-hmm. word of gospel to a man who is literally dying a horrendous death. And he could die in peace because of Jesus' words and promise. And just because he showed faith, didn't he? Right. I mean, the, the action activity of Jesus obviously was a sermon and illustration in words and in, in deed that the Spirit used to bring this man to faith. Wow. Well, um, we're kind of moving through this quickly, but uh, eventually Jesus does die. And we want to talk about the importance of his, not only his suffering, but his death. Can you do that? Sure. Uh, before he does die, he, he is showing the great agony that he's going through. He cries out, I thirst. And they give him a, a sponge filled with kind of vinegar and gall, which was more of a narcotic, um, not very tasty at all. And he kind of just turned away from that. And then he takes care of his earthly mother with the beloved disciple John, that she would become part of his household and and taken care of. And then he faces um, his own agony. He faces death head on when he cries out those those words, the haunting words of Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? And we see in that the father is literally turning his back on his son, and he will allow him to suffer even death for us. And in that moment of abandonment where he seems forsaken by the Father, that's where Jesus suffers the torments of, the full torment of hell and sin and death. And he is alone there on the cross with no one there to rescue and save him who's giving his life to save everyone else. But Jesus also continues, and he cries out, It is finished. Tetelestai in the Greek, one word in the Greek, three in English. It's a perfect tense, which means what is done is done now, and it's carried through for fulfillment from this time forward forever, that this is now finished. The work of of atoning for the sins of the human race is, is accomplished and completed in me, that there is nothing more that needs to be done to pay for your sins or mine, but Jesus has paid that debt completely. And it is finished in him. That's why in the church we can talk so much about the need for forgiveness. Because when God forgives, he buries it into the depths of the sea. He casts our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. And he gives us what we don't deserve. Life, forgiveness, salvation, and eternity with him. Right. Good. Good. Let's. We're going to go back to that. I'm going to make a few announcements. It's a great place to uh, segue after uh, after I make these announcements to talk about the curtain in the temple tearing right at the moment of his death. Each week, Family Shield offers a booklet, a resource to our listeners. This week, we're offering What Happens When I Die. To receive the booklet, call our response center, 1-877-317-317. 4326. We'll mail it out to you at no cost. We also encourage listeners to sign up to receive the Family Shield email newsletter on our website, www.familyshieldministries.com. If you are a Thrivent financial member, you can designate your Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield Ministries. 
go to the Thrivent website at www.thrivent.com and then Thrivent Choice to learn more. That really helps us. And I'm so thankful to all the Thrivent members that are signing up to support this outreach ministry. Don't forget to pray for us as we share Christ through media. We love to hear from our listeners. Let us know what you like and don't like about the programs, and also prayerfully consider a donation to Family Shield Ministries. You can send that to P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. Your gifts are tax-deductible as allowed by law, and you can donate through PayPal on the website. I want to go back again to my guest, Reverend Tim Shar. He is the president of the Southern Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, and we are talking about the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right before I made the announcements, uh, he was talking about the last moments of Jesus' life on earth and what that means for us. That was why he came. But I want to read um, just uh, from Matthew 27 uh, and then ask for uh, uh, his comments that at the moment of Jesus' death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, I don't want to deal with uh, all of the issues about the people. I want to talk you to explain why in the world the temple curtain would have torn at Jesus' death. Well, thank you. That's an excellent question. And, and to fully appreciate that, we need to go back a little bit into the Old Testament and remember that when God instructed Moses about the worship life of Israel, it was a, a, a tabernacle, a tent that was being constructed. And it consisted of uh, the most holy place, the holy place where the priest could do daily ministry before the Lord, and then the outer court, the courtyard. And the access to the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, was only permitted by the high priest on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. And otherwise, uh, he was not, no one could go back behind the curtain, so to speak. The, tabern- the tabernacle became the temple in Jerusalem, a very solid physical structure, but the same pattern is there the Holy of Holies, the holy place, the outer court. And again, the high priest just one day of year going into that Holy of Holies to make satisfaction for the sins of the people by spreading blood upon the the mercy seat of God. When Jesus comes, he is now the new tabernacle in his body. You remember in John's Gospel, he talks about, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He was referring to the temple of his body. Jesus becomes for us on the cross the great high priest. No longer is that curtain dividing the the priesthood from God himself, but in Jesus from top to bottom, the curtain has been rent apart, and you and I in Christ have direct access to the mercy seat of God, and in Jesus we can approach the Father as his dear children approach their, their fathers here on earth. We can approach our Heavenly Father with the same joy and and excitement because of Jesus, our brother, opening that curtain for us. So it was really a a miraculous thing that this happened, that that God the Father kind of let us know in, in the scriptures, tell us this. Um, that the t- because that temple was that temple curtain wasn't a small little thing, was Absolutely it? Absolutely not. It was very big, very heavy. 
Uh, and again, there are times when God does show signs in the world about the significance of what's taking place spiritually. And you get a lot of that on Good Friday with the earthquake and the temple tearing and the darkness, uneary darkness over the course of the earth for three hours. These are all God's way of saying, this is not the way it should be. This is unnatural that I have to die for you, mm-hmm. but it shows you how far I will go for you that I will spare nothing to bring you back to me. Yeah. So let's talk about the resurrection, um, this resurrection of Christ and what happened and why it's so important that we don't have the Lord in the grave, but that he rose from the dead, as he promised. Right, and this goes to the heart of the Christian faith. In fact, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives the most spirited defense of why it was necessary for Jesus to rise from the dead. And I would encourage your listeners to look that up, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as they celebrate this Easter. But what happened with Jesus? Well, he died. On, on Friday, they took his body down from the cross and they placed it into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a Pharisee, who was a secret believer in Jesus, now no longer secret. And they placed him in a new, newly human tomb that Joseph had built for himself. And they put a stone against the door. And then the enemies of Jesus, they were expecting something to happen here. And they wouldn't say they believed in the resurrection, but they thought, or they told Pilate, Oh, his followers are come and steal the body, and let's seal that tomb and post a guard on it. And Pilate relented and let them do that. And then Sunday morning, very early on that first day of the week, an earthquake again came. The stone rolled away, and out came Jesus, alive, no longer dead. But the one who had been crucified was fully alive. And the whole sight of this just caused the Roman soldiers to be treated as if they were dead because they were shocked in what they were witnessing and seeing. And the followers of Jesus, our Lord had said at least three different times he was going to suffer, die, and rise again. And like many of us, they were slow to listen and slow to believe. The women went their way early that morning to prepare Jesus' body for what they thought would be a long stay in the tomb. But it wasn't. The tomb was empty, and they were kind of startled. They went back and told the disciples, and they were bewildered. But Peter ran to the tomb, and John came came with him. John, being the younger, raced there ahead of Peter, is panting outside the tomb, doesn't go in it because he's fearful of going into a a tomb and being Mm -hmm. made unclean. But Peter doesn't care. Peter comes and goes straight inside and finds it's empty. And they both are, again, marveling. What does this mean? And Jesus appeared to the women and said, you know, go tell my disciples that I'll appear before them in Galilee. But that, And the angels put the best commentary on it. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. And that word was to come back to them glowingly that this was God's promise all along. Yeah. So what does that mean for you and for me? It means that in Christ, believers will live even if they die, and that these bodies of ours, which are subject to age and decay and illness and and brokenness, they too will be resurrected and glorified, just like Jesus is resurrected and glorified, and that we will be with the Lord forever in resurrected, glorified bodies. So for Christians, death is not the end. It is saying, until I see you again to their loved one, what a great promise we have. 
It is. It is a wonderful promise. I um, have a, a list of resurrection questions that we have on our website if anybody wants to look at some of the other verses related to this. We have just a couple minutes left. Uh, talk just a minute, and we just have a couple minutes here, about uh, John twenty twenty six when uh, Thomas had not seen Jesus. We have three minutes. Thomas had not seen Jesus when he came, and then Jesus appeared to him. We have three minutes, so uh, that's just oh, an awesome yeah. story. It, it you really can do is. that in three minutes, yeah. Thomas had not been there on that first day of the resurrection for whatever reason. We don't know. But his fellow disciples said, we saw Jesus. And Thomas is thinking, you guys are crazy. Unless I see his nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, the following Sunday, they're all back in the upper room with Thomas this time. And there again, Jesus appears. And Thomas realizes he is alive. We're never told he touched the side or put his hands in the nail marks. Mm -hmm. But seeing Jesus and hearing him, he carried out the great confession of faith, my Lord and my God. That's a powerful, powerful statement that Thomas made. One of the first Christian creeds, actually. Uh Jesus is my Lord. He is my God. Yeah. Yeah, we say doubting Thomas, but the powerful message of my Lord and my God was was wonderful. So I never knew that. It was was an early creed. And what became one, yeah, the confession of faith, yes. Oh, wonderful. Well, we have just... Two minutes left. Any quick thoughts you have as we end the program related to uh, the, the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our Easter special? The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It means that even though we die, we live. Job also forecast the resurrection in chapter 19, and he knew that in the end his Redeemer would stand upon the earth And in his own flesh, he would see God with his own eyes and not another. And that same promise is for all believers in Christ. We will see Jesus coming back with our own eyes and not another. And as Job said, how my heart yearns within me, so our hearts also cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Oh, that's great ending for the program. Again, uh, my guest has been uh, Reverend Tim Shar. He is the president of the Southern Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. If you want to learn more about Family Shield, go to our website at www.familyshieldministries.com. We also, again, want to mention What Happens When I Die is the booklet we're giving away, and this would be a great book. For you to read to learn more or for you to give away to someone, uh, 1-877-317-4326 is the number that you call to receive that booklet from us. Uh, Just give us a call. Again, the website, www.familyshieldministries.com. We hope that you will have a wonderful uh, Easter and uh, remember the resurrection of Christ. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield, 